This is Women's Tech Radio. A show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network interviewing interesting women in technology, exploring their roles and how they're successful in technology careers. I'm Paige. And I'm Angela. So Angela, today we're going to talk with Paige Hendricks-Buckner. She is a entrepreneur in the Portland area. She's the founder of Client Joy. They have this really fantastic service where they're using technology to kind of gather things in and then ship gifts out to do thank yous kind of stuff. Before we get into the interview, I want to mention that you can support Women's Tech Radio on Jupiter Broadcasting Network by going to patreon.com forward slash today. Awesome. And we get started with our interview by asking Paige what she's up to in technology today. So I am the founder of a company called Client Joy, and we manage gifting for businesses. And what we'd like to do this year is to automate business gifting in a way that it makes it easier than ever for companies to send really great local gifts. Um, in addition to that, I also teach entrepreneurship in a program called the Youth Entrepreneurs with the Thai Oregon Group. And we're teaching kids about invention and innovation and entrepreneurship. So those are the two ways that I'm diving into this field. Awesome. So, I mean, I think Client Joy is pretty fascinating. Can you kind of tell us the story about like how you got started in that and why and like how you guys kind of do business? Like, you know, paint me a picture. Yeah, absolutely. Client Joy was born out of a pain point, which is always, I think, at least the best kind of business to have. Um, when you're solving pain for somebody, it's so much easier than um, when you're just trying to, I feel like, sell them something that they don't really need. So I had started a company called Teakbox, and it was a monthly subscription service featuring Portland-made things. And during the course of that business, I uh, discovered, one, that I really liked being an entrepreneur, and so I quit my day job to work on it full-time. And while I was working on it, we started to discover this really interesting use case. There were businesses who were coming to us saying, look, we don't necessarily want to subscribe every month, but we would like to buy gift boxes from you to send to our clients, our business partners, our employees, um, maybe somebody that we had a great meeting with to say thank you or congratulations or a variety of other reasons. And what was interesting about that, um, from at least a background in public policy and education was that I didn't realize that gifting was such a big part of doing business. Um, most gifts that I had received when I was a teacher were like all the amazing candies and cookies and everything you can imagine that you've given to a teacher. That was the kind of gifting I was familiar with. And then it, it wasn't really happening ever in public policy because that's kind of a no-no. So we started digging deeper and asking more questions about why it was people were giving gifts. What were the problems with the types of gifts they were sending now? What was hard about it? And so during the holiday season, our first major holiday season, we built just a simple Google form that allowed people to select a gift from a menu of options and then tell us where it was to go and what the personal message was to be. And we would handwrite it and then take care of it from there. Well, we had enough customers that we were able to validate the idea so in January of 2015, when it kind of came to a point where we realized that Teakbox wasn't the model we wanted to pursue and my co-founder and I went separate ways, I decided to focus on building out the model for Client Joy. So March of last year, we launched Client Joy to focus only on making it easy for businesses to give really great local gifts. And that's what we've continued to do since last year is just iterate on that experience uh, to create a way that companies can easily track and send gifts that reflect their brand their budget and then also their pride in their local community. 
<laughs> I will be using you. Thank you. <laughs> That's a great service. Yes. That's fantastic because, you. you know, I... I run um, the swag like uh, we have people that subscribe to us Ugh. via Patreon and I, I run the swag yes. like the thank you to the swag level members. And one of my hardest problems is fulfillment. Like I just don't. I have That's three young right. kids and I, I am busy with uh, the social networking aspect of this company and recording women's tech radio. Um, I just right. don't have time and I hate it. I hate I hate having to fill out uh, international forms or the customs forms. Oh, yes. I, I hate everything yes. about it. I hate waiting at the post office. So I would totally, yep. I would gladly pay. It would even be cheaper, you know, when you consider my time. It'd be cheaper to have you guys do it. Yes. Probably. Yeah. Yes. I love it. You are, I mean, I want to interview you now. We need to. <laughs> right. I, just want, I want to know everything. Right? All the pain points yeah, that because, you have. Seriously, because any any podcast or, or really any service that puts themselves on Patreon they need to give back to the community in some way. You have to. Mm. <laughs> She's all like, this is a new mar market. <laughs> new use yes. case. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Thank you yeah. for sharing. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> what? No, this is perfect. No, I, <laughs> I love so, it. So this is perfect because the, the rabbit hole that I wanted to go down with you, Paige, um, Let's go. Let's is go. actually teaching entrepreneurship. And you have just done a crash course yeah. on that with us. Um, and I want to back up and start with how you got started with ClientJoy because you did a perfect textbook case of a technology MVP. You used a publicly available product, Google Forms, to test case your business. Like, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. why? How did you do that? Why did you pick that? Yeah, you know, really, it just came down to what people said they needed at the end of the day. I mean, and this is something we talk about with our students all the time, right? Or what are you building and who are you building it for? And then what are you solving for them? What are you making easy for them? Um, and really, I was inspired by Startup Weekend in a really, a really funny way. I discovered that I really wanted to be an entrepreneur maybe the entire time. Having been an educator and then worked in public policy, I really liked to work on fast-paced issues and problems solve in the minute, which is why I love teaching, right? Because you have to be responsive to your students to be a good teacher. And what was really, really cool about Startup Weekend is that we were constantly iterating and pivoting over a 54-hour period about one idea. And you had to be very responsive in order to create a presentation at the end that was compelling enough to win. So in that short period of time, I thought, oh my gosh, there's a world in which I can go and I can learn and I can iterate and I can build. And this is just my entire life. Um, and so when we were thinking about how we were going to test out whether or not businesses wanted to buy gifts, we knew that we had to build something that spoke to some of their challenges. And their challenges were, I just want to enter my credit card once. So they all they need to go through is, you know, the, the order for and order as many as they needed. And then we would send them an invoice and they would just pay it once. They needed to have a few options based on price points. And then also they needed some differentiation based on the types of goods in the gift. And in addition to that, we discovered that we didn't have a big budget for this. <laughs> so we couldn't spend any money on going to build proprietary software. We just needed to use what was available. And I've been using Google Docs for years for a variety of reasons and thought, well, this is great. I can just retool this basically with some conditional statements to create a responsive order form. Uh, to see if anybody even wants it. And after about 10 hours of, you know, building, testing, fixing, all that good stuff, it was ready for use. And it paid for itself pretty quickly, which was really exciting. And then, interestingly enough, became... It became the foundation of what Client Joy has become. Um, we've used so much of what we learned from that test over a month period, two month period in the holiday season of 2014 
to create an experience that's ongoing for a multitude of use cases, uh, including, like you said, you know, gifting for people who are in the podcast world or gifting for somebody who's in sales or uh, anybody who's in marketing. So it's been really interesting uh, to see how Startup Weekend, that one weekend, had such a big impact on how I think about what we need to build. And I think that the taboo about gifting in um, in the commercial land is specifically in sales, is that it can be misconstrued as bribery, right? Oh, yeah. And typically, or well, I don't know if I want to say typically, but I think the stereotype is that those salespeople are going to, the gifts are going to be in the form of something of that company's branded product. Uh Which then solidifies the whole like bribery thing. Like, let's get my name in front of you as much as possible. But that's not what you do. You do, how do you pick your products? Oh, that's a great question. We actually are really, really fortunate to have a brilliant creative director and she's an artist. She's a maker herself and she has a, a really interesting set of criteria that she's developing over time to choose the types of products that we include. Um, most of it is, again, responsive. So we interview our customers about the types of products they want to include. Some of them want to include specific vendors that they've worked with in the past or maybe they've just had out and about and they love them. Um, you know, we it's funny, we also use what we know works. So there's this popcorn called Pinkleton's Curious Caramel Corn. Have you, either of you had it? No, but you can send us some. (laughs) Oh my gosh, girls. This is my hide and eat food. I mean, I, I'm not sharing this. (laughs) I'm eating it in, in a closet by myself. Um, so what I love about Pinkleton's though is popcorn everybody loves, but this is so amazing and delicious and unique that everyone who's tried it just loves it. So for us, it's a really great staple. Um, but there are a few other things that we look for, like, you know, nuts and candy that we like to have around as well. And so it's interesting to see, you know, what people do and don't like. And sometimes we'll send test items to people, especially ones who want to be very particular about the types of items that they include in um, their gifts. We let them try them just to see, hey, is this a good fit for you? So it's kind of a combination of of what it is that they want to see, whether that's just as vague as just send them some things that are shareable that they can eat as a team, all the way to, oh my gosh, I love masala pop or quin candy or albina city nuts, and I want to make sure they get included in the gift. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit of, it's a little art and science. So, wow, I mean, that's, that's so fascinating. Like you're using such a local thing in such a high reach way. Yes, exactly. Which has, here's the interesting thing, right? We want to build in the long term something that allows you to see preferences, right? Okay, this is a, I'm sending this to this person in this position. I want to spend this much money. What should I be sending? That's local from Portland, from Denver, from Seattle, where, you know, wherever it is that they are. But the interesting thing is there's also this kind of fun ripple effect that we're seeing where when artisans are able to get exposure and get to new markets this way, they're doing it in a way that covers their costs, but also connects them to people who can turn around and purchase their artisanal products. So it's a really exciting uh, opportunity to build relationships via these really nice local That's a fantastic ripple effect that you wouldn't, you wouldn't really expect necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and especially, Mm -hmm. you know, being in Portland, Portland is is such a local scene. Yes, it is. But, but seeing that Mm -hmm. spread out and yeah, Mm -hmm. like, um, like there's the Portland Saturday market every, every Saturday, there's a giant market in Portland and you go down there and the mm-hmm. specific thing to be at the Portland Saturday market, you have to produce your goods in Oregon. So it's ah, like this really right. interesting bar to entry, but at the same time, they don't get that exposure because it is, you know, you're still in Portland, but you know, yeah. if you're sending your stuff out, 
you've got a lot of that's really neat so are you capturing a bunch of yeah. like statistics around this are you using software now have you graduated from google forms like what does that journey look like yeah, exactly. We have graduated from Google Forms to a different software that we use that still allows us to build uh, responsive order forms. So right now, the the part of our journey that we're in is we are taking that step away from Google Forms into something called Typeform. Are either of you familiar mm -hmm. with it? So Typeform is another form development software, but there are tons more conditional statements. You can also accept payment this way. And so when we start working with clients and they create a custom menu, we send over options for them to choose. The ones that they do select are then loaded into a customized order form so that anybody in their team can go in and choose which gift they want. They can say, I want to spend 50 bucks. And it says, great, here's all the options for 50 bucks. Or if your team chooses, here's all the things you can include in a $50 gift. You can choose from these menus of options. Um, so it's really interesting that we've been able to take it a step further without then having to put a ton of money into building the software yet. Um, and I always like to be super transparent about that because I want people to know what that process looks like so that others can do it as well. You don't have to go out and build everything just yet, right? You don't have to go find a really expensive app developer to build your app just yet if you can build something that's mobily responsive. What we would like to do by the end of the year is uh, use what we're learning from this software to then start building out the first version of our own software. So now we're able to collect data that's it's qualitative and quantitative, not in huge amounts yet, but enough for us to be able to say, oh, we're seeing patterns and people really like it when we include these stable items in their gift. So when we expand to Seattle and Vegas, which we have, we look for those similar types of items that could then be swapped out um, and see if they're also popular by just interviewing our customers and asking, is this something that you like? Uh, what do you think about it? And over time, as we build that body of work, we'll be able to help people make better decisions about gifts and then also discover new artisans they might not otherwise find if they were just to go to a website where you can you know, find all the artisans who maybe can afford to be in the big box stores. So are the I, I just have a question because, yeah, yeah, in Seattle, away. the first thing I think of and the first thing that I would want in a gift box from Seattle is a cow chip cookie. <laughs> mm, but it's a mm -hmm. fresh, fresh baked type deal. But so, do you have oh, yeah. people here in Seattle or do you just have a box uh, that represents the Seattle area? That's a great question. So we worked with a client in Seattle over the holiday season. And so we built out a few staple items that we want to launch in Seattle as we prepare to do that this year. So it's interesting that you say that, right? Because now that you've told me, I want to go find out more about this oh, cookie. They have the bowl chip cookies. <laughs> right? It's bigger than my face and and it's <gasps> called a drop cookie. Yes. And so it's yes. like it's almost fully cooked, but kind of not. Like it's great, but it has it has crunchy yes. edges, but the soft inside, so you can share it with somebody because you know, not not yes. most people like both crunchy and the the middle. So it's great. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's amazing. And you know, it's funny about that too. So we have this client who said, I have this bakery in New York because they were mm -hmm. bi-coastal. I want to order cookies from them. So they order the cookies. They had them shipped into us or them. Somebody received it here. And then we picked them up and we included them in ah. their gifts. So they were able to do Portland and New York to feature, you know, both of their offices, which was really, really cool. And that's where we'd like to go, you know, be able to say, hey, somebody on our team loves these cookies. We want to make sure they get included. And then you can choose everything else for us. Epic. Yeah, that's fantastic. Epic. Cookies sound epic. And they freeze well, it turns out. And then you just put them in the oven and oh, it's like, man. it's all like, it's like, oh man, it's amazing. 
Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have yeah. problems. Yeah. I have problems. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I am gonna have some more issues. Now I'm gonna go to Seattle and find some more high yes. need food. <laughs> oh, you should always have a good high need food in every city. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. So so you're you're we're kinda in this entrepreneurial journey yourself. Um I've heard you speak very passionately about entrepreneurship. Why teach it to youth these days? Like why do you think that's valuable? Yeah, absolutely. I So when I was a fourth and fifth grade teacher, one thing that I was very surprised about was the amount of learning that I was doing in the classroom with my students, the lessons my kids were teaching me. And that's because there seems to be something in our adult brains, I think, that hinders our sense of possibility. But kids still have this huge sense of possibility. And so I left the classroom and I worked in a nonprofit and then I worked in public policy. And then when I got into entrepreneurship, I started thinking, about how powerful these paradigms for learning were. I mean, the iterative cycle itself is incredible. It's freeing. It welcomes mistakes. It encourages you to test, 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 and and then review all of that feedback. And I thought to myself, wow, this is the way that I like to teach. This is the way I like to learn all kids should be learning this way because, you know, when I was a kid, I feel like the the classes where I was most engaged were the classes where I was really constantly engaged in the content and it was meaningful to me. And I thought, what if we, uh, what if we could do this in, in schools and uh, what if we could bring startup weekends to schools? And it could be about anything, any issues that the kids have in the school that they want to solve themselves because they're incredibly intelligent, incredibly powerful and capable of a great number of solutions if we give them the tools and the skills and then the space to do it. So I was really fortunate to speak with uh, one of my mentors, a gentleman by the name of Shashi, and he said, hey, we're, we're looking for some people to help us teach this program. Would you be interested? And then I spoke to a gentleman in the program, Nitin, who runs the organization, and he said, hey, would you like to come join us? And so I started looking at it and, and really was excited, but I was even more excited when I got into the space with the students, right? I mean, you tell them, look, you are then you're given the responsibility, but also the freedom to choose the problems you want to solve and the things that bug you, you can fix. And then we just do that. We just work on fixing those problems. What if we brought that to every single subject you were in, right? What if we we taught that in the context of English and we taught that in the context of math? The classroom that I'm teaching in now, I'm very fortunate to work with two incredible educators, uh, Kayla and Tim at Benson High School in Portland, Oregon. They are teaching um, a print shop in the context of algebra and algebra in the context of the print shop, right? So this is genius yeah, that to me because... Yeah. Right. It's amazing. It's amazing. And makes algebra right. meaningful brings a real in a world way that you can engage it. Education. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And there's screen printing. It's amazing. So we come in and once a week we work with the students. We teach them these different aspects of entrepreneurship. I mean, everything from what is your skill set? What do you bring to your team to rapid prototyping and developing basic websites and presentation and pitch skills? And uh, this week we did project management with them. And I'm learning this this whole curriculum from these two gentlemen, uh, Shashi and Suresh. Both of them are incredibly passionate and brilliant. And so they've developed the basis of this curriculum and then I'm basically taking it and bringing it to Benson and we want to turn into an experience 
I mean, really an experience, right, that any teacher anywhere can apply to the content. And actually, today, I stepped out of a training for a couple of minutes to chat with you amazing ladies. Um, but we're talking about invention today, about how do we bring invention to the classroom. And I, I mean, there's something so powerful about that. One, you're telling them they're smart enough, they're great enough, and they're, they are valuable um, because what they bring to the table is important and can solve problems. And I just, to me, the ripple effects of that are just, uh, they cause goosebumps, you know? So that's why I think it's so important. I mean, we, we need it. It's critical. Our, our world needs problem solvers, thinkers, critical thinkers who aren't afraid to fail. There's something, I mean, just so incredibly life-changing of someone looking at you and saying you can. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Yeah. And absolutely. I love working with youth because there's that, they just don't have the fear matrix that we have. Yeah. Or the box. Yes. Like, yeah. There, there's no box yet. Yes. It's, there is either has an open door still or a wall missing or something. Yeah, they just flattened it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah, right. It's definitely, I mean, it's something I see working with entrepreneurs who are adults. Like the biggest thing that they get tripped up on is always fear. It's, it's always fear. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and the worst mm-hmm. part about like the way biologically that we handle fear is we use the amygdala and the amygdala is known as the memory gland. And essentially it looks oh, yeah. at it looks at your situation that you're in right now. It says, Have I experienced something like this before? If yes, how did it go? And and if you've had exactly. a bad experience before, it releases the fear hormone. Like it just does. That's how That's that right. works. That's and, exactly right. That's you know, kids exactly make right. those if they're you know, sometimes you can have problems biologically like anxiety or whatever, but generally it's gonna look and say, I haven't experienced this before. Here goes nothing. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Just go. Let's just go and test it. And, you know, like I said, I I think about my fourth and fifth graders a great deal about how much they humbled me and helped me think about what was possible, what all kids are possible or capable of rather. And one thing that was funny is one time I was reading an article to them about uh, food in schools. And so we started brainstorming, how could we make food in schools better? And I started telling them about all the impacts of eating sugar and, you know, how that affected their brain. And they came up with some really powerful solutions, um, gardens, uh, that they tended, you know, being part of the cooking process. And it was, I mean, these are fourth graders <laughs> they were so incredibly reflective. Now, what if we empowered them? What if we took it to the next step? We gave them the funding. We helped them build the garden. We helped them understand their food. What would that mean for the adults that they would become and the kids that they would then raise? Um, and that's what I think about when I think about what's possible. Yeah. I mean, it's just phenomenal. Like how how do we make that happen? And, and it's interesting because as a culture, this this is actually a returning. Like kids were expected to be part of this process. They were expected to be part of the solution up until You're right. you know, the last until they became 100, kids. 200 years ago. <laughs> until they had a childhood. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And it, that's like, you know, childhood lasted till what, like three <clears throat> yeah. or four? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I noticed mm-hmm. the same mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, I always pack my son's lunch, but when one day I let him have lunch and while his lunches really suck, you know, the what the school provides, they they have changed it mm-hmm. to open salad bar, which is kind of crazy to me because wow. uh, I wouldn't eat a salad in elementary school <laughs> and, and my kids don't eat right. salad. But what he did get is he right. got a plum one day and I don't I don't know anything wow. about plums, but because he had the option, he went ahead and had a plum. So, right. So that was really cool. Oh man, I would have loved that. I would eat salad has always been my favorite food, even from a little kid. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
That's awesome, though. I mean, like, but think about that, you know, I mean, even in creating a salad bar, you're giving kids yeah. choice and options and the ability to explore and to say, I do like this. I mm-hmm. don't like this. And I mean, yeah, that's to me, that just continues to reinforce that, hey, you're smart enough to pick your own food. <laughs> if we give you healthy options, what will you pick? What tastes will you develop mm-hmm. over time? Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, it's what what kids are presented with is so often the matrix we end up with for later life. That's right. I have friends who still won't try vegetables because their parents didn't eat vegetables or didn't present them with anything but broccoli Mm. and they don't like broccoli. So all vegetables are bad. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. I love it. (laughs) Uh, Entrepreneurship. It's so fantastic. Like and and like wrapping back around, like just hearing you and your mindset, like. Have you felt like you've always had this? Because like we dove into this interview and you started talking and we mentioned some things and then like Angela presents like essentially a pain point and you just launched into entrepreneur mode and you were just like, I want to hear about this pain point. I want to hear about how I can solve it. And that's like, to me, that's so essential to how entrepreneurs think. Like, have you always thought that way? Is it a developed skill? Is it a little of both? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, I've been thinking recently about actually the impact that my parents had on that mindset. Um, My dad is a biologist and he's he's an ichthyologist. So he works for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And for years, I've not only watched him be a biologist, but be a listener. So people would come to him from the community and they'd chat with him and they would, you know, share their just day-to-day moments. And I watched him be a really great listener. And I was talking about this at the panel a couple weeks ago, but one time a a younger kid came up to me when I was probably like just, just barely a preteen and, uh, I ignored them and he reprimanded me and he's like, nobody is, uh, you know, nobody deserves to be treated that way. You need to listen to everybody. And that has stuck with me every single day. And so reinforcing, you know, empathy is important and being a good listener is important. Um, my mom has, taught herself how to sew for years ever since she started raising kids. And it was watching her learn and fail and ask for help and watch videos and that constant feedback loop where she was always testing, making us new clothes, you know, asking us, does this fit right? You know, trying to make it work for us, whether we were tearing through, you know, a sporting event or we were attending a recital or whatever it might be. It was really interesting to see how those two things have kind of manifested in the way that I am an entrepreneur. Um, And then the other thing I would say too is just my education. So when I was in high school, I did speech and debate and I had this amazing debate coach who taught us how to ask questions and formulate arguments. Um, That's been incredibly powerful. Those presentation skills have just been a lifelong gift really. And then when I became an educator, uh, the program Teach for America that I went through, they taught us to be incredibly reflective and be listeners and to think about what are students getting out of our lessons? How are we seeing that in their outputs and assessments? And so you're that nonstop feedback about, okay, give an assessment, whether that's, you know, a test or just asking them questions and then thinking about, okay, did they learn? Did they not learn? What do I do next? That you're constantly pivoting in the classroom as well. So I, you know, I, I just, I see all of those things have manifested in my job now as an entrepreneur. And I'm so grateful for all of those experiences and want to create those experiences for other kids who are coming so- up. So you've got a lot of involvement with kids being entrepreneurs. Like, so say I want to get started as an entrepreneur, as a a grown adult. Do you have any things? Are there resources you use currently? Books? Like, like where would you say? I mean, it sounds like you think listening and kind of guess and test is a lot of the foundation that you use. Yeah, absolutely. I would say check out Startup Weekend. 
uh, to see that whole process kind of play out. You know, how do you bring together a bunch of strangers around an idea, a pain point? Um, how do you build solutions for those things in a really short period of time and, and then kind of gauge your response? I would also have you sit down and think about all the things that you're really passionate about and all the things that really bug you. This is actually an activity we do with our students as well. Your bug list and your passion list can help inform a lot of the decisions that you make about what it is that you want to pursue. So out of that bug and that passion list, you can say, okay, I really want to fix this thing. It keeps me up at night. I think that I should work on it all the time. And then just start testing little things, interviewing people. Um, My husband started a company called Work From. It's all the places you can work remotely in a city, all the cafes, coffee shops, bars, restaurants. And he is a software engineer by training. And what he was really interested in was building a way for him to find a good place to work. And so the funny thing is, is that he just started asking other people at coffee shops, how do you find this place to work? How does it work? How does it not work? Why doesn't it work? How can we make this easier? And over time, he found people, interestingly enough, in a coffee shop who became the founding members of his team. (laughs) You know, so what he learned there were not only um, the pain points, but then also the people who then joined him in this journey. And over time, they have built this incredible platform that is all over the world that allows people to get work done. So, you know, the biggest thing is figure out what bugs you um, you know, who you want to solve for and then just start testing little things. So I am at startupweekend.org. Hey. <laughs> hey. Um, I'm not really seeing where it is to find out like when the next one is. Yeah, that's a great idea. I didn't even think about that. I've been Googling startup weekend and then I'll look for the city. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, I just didn't click go so port- on my city. That's okay. Fine. Yeah, yeah. So Perfect, cities yeah. individually run startup weekends, um, and they're they're run mm-hmm. by city directors usually, or something like that. And um, they happen yeah. almost everywhere, like around the world at this point, um, which is pretty fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We just startup weekend it just is. happened in Portland two weekends ago. Wow! Did you go? Yep. No. Oh. Uh, I mean, I hosted the panel. Oh, okay. I think there's another one coming up in Portland on April 8th, and this one is focused on education. So it's Startup Weekend yeah. EDU. Oh, actually, um, the, there's one in Portland, Business Models and Education Workshop, the February 23rd and 25th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're doing a lot of stuff. I know Portland also has doing, uh, done like a Hispanic Startup Weekend. So there's a lot of niche yep. groups. They're trying to answer some of the how do we get the right kinds of people, the right diverse community involved in entrepreneurship, which is really cool. Hmm. Yeah. And I don't go because I consider myself an armchair entrepreneur. <laughs> it's like like some people yes. do football. I do entrepreneurship. I like to follow all the yes. entrepreneurs, but I don't necessarily want to be one. Mm. Well, this is very entrepreneurial. I think having a podcast is. I mean, you guys are out. You're building something. You're building an audience. I mean, you're solving a pain point. I love this. You're solving my <laughs> pain points right now. <laughs> yeah, Angela and Chris at Jupiter Broadcasting have done some phenomenal work. I am lucky enough to just be a host. So and Ooh. and the well, she came to us saying, "I have this idea." And it is now Women's Tech Radio. So I had a pain point. There's more credit than that. Yes. Yeah. Solving, solving pain points every day, everywhere. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, Paige, this has been a fantastic interview. Uh, If people want to follow you, get in touch with you, how do they do that? Yeah, great question. So you can visit our website. It's clientjoy.com, just exactly like it sounds. We're bringing joy to clients and other people. Um, And then also you can reach out to me and my email is page, P-A-I-G-E, at clientjoy.com. And sometimes I'm a little slow to respond, uh, but I will follow up with you. 
Awesome. And I always like to ask everybody before we go, uh, what's the one thing in technology that's kind of coming down the pipe that has you excited? I am really excited about the 3D printing that's happening all over the world. Um, part of this is because I know people who are involved in that community. But I think that the implications of giving people the ability to print in their homes items, uh, you know, whether that's, let's think like plasticware, right? Or replacements for a dishwasher that uh, has a broken piece or something like that, I think are really profound and could create some really small local manufacturing opportunities for people uh, who might be able to turn it into businesses and money in the long term. So I think it's really exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, I love 3D printing is so phenomenal and it's so open source in such a cool yes. way. Like it's, mm -hmm. I'm very excited about it. I like the idea that I can fix things easier now. Exactly. That's, ex I mean, it's decentralizing manufacturing in a lot of ways and uh, giving people everywhere access, which is what, you know, the internet has done for information. I think 3D printing could do for manufacturing, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I, I mean, it totally has. You can see it on Kickstarter like every day. You know, everybody's yeah. coming to Kickstarter and their first prototype that they're showing is 3D printed. Mm -hmm. like That's exactly time. right. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly. That's super powerful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Paige. We'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women's Tech Radio. Remember, you can access links in our show notes at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Select the show drop down for Women's Tech Radio, and you can see all of our previous episodes, too. You can also contact us via the contact form on the website or email us at wtr at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Also make sure to follow us at heywtr on Twitter.